Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. This week's Fiber for Breakfast brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Wesco. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 49th episode of 2023. But before we kick off, I'd like to thank Wesco, the platinum sponsor of Fiber for Breakfast, and our gold sponsor, Network Connects. You know, the Fiber Broadband Association just wrapped up our premier member meeting in Palm Springs. Our members heard some amazing keynotes from Teddy uh, Bacalli, the CTO of Land Lakes on precision agriculture and the technology enabled crossroads of precision nutrition and healthcare. We also heard from Wall Street's George Snodder of Jefferies and Joanne Hovis of CTC on her insights on working with the state broadband offices. And we heard the results of some of the Fiber Broadband Association's latest research, just to name a few things that happened this week. So it was a great event, and I'm looking forward to a very exciting 2024. Speaking of 2024, we've had an overwhelming positive response to our schedule for our regional Fiber Connect workshops, our road tour plan for next year. And so we have upcoming Fiber Connect workshops in Richmond in February, Little Rock in April, Deer Valley in Park City, Utah in June, Des Moines in September, Albuquerque in November, and of course, our big annual Fiber Connect 24 conference in Nashville will be July 28th and 31st. The Fiber Broadband Association, along with uh, NTCA and Cartesian, have released our version 3.0 of the Broadband Infrastructure Playbook. So if you want a copy, you can download it from the QR code on your screen or visit FBA's website under resources. That brings us to today's Fire for Breakfast session with our good friend, Sarah Magruder-Lyle, the president and CEO of the Common Ground Alliance. We'll be discussing increasing reliability by reducing dig-ins, Fiber's critical role in reversing damaged trends. Last week on Fire for Breakfast, our guest was Mike O'Day, the CTO of Corning, who discussed artificial intelligence powered by fiber-rich networks. As always, Mike did a great job in explaining the opportunities with artificial intelligence and how large language model data centers require five times more optical connections than today's hyperscale data centers. You know, AI applications have a tremendous potential to really change everything from healthcare and education to manufacturing and finance. Today on Fire for Breakfast, our guest is Sarah Magruder-Lyle, the president and CEO of Common Ground Alliance, who's gonna discuss increasing reliability by reducing dig-ins, fiber's critical role and reversing damaged trends. Sarah is the president and CEO of the Common Ground Alliance, a stakeholder-run organization dedicated to preventing damage to underground utility infrastructure and protecting those who live and work near these important assets through the shared responsibility of our stakeholders. Under her leadership, CGA focuses on building strong partnerships across the organization's 16 stakeholder groups developing strategies to educate about the importance of safe digging and encouraging the next generation of damage prevention practices and technologies and implementing programs 
to reduce excavation-related damages to underground infrastructure. Sarah was appointed by the Secretary of Transportation to the Department's Liquid Pipeline Advisory Committee, which provides guidance to the Pipeline and Hazardous Material Safety Administration on regulations affecting pipeline safety and standards in March of 2019. So welcome, Sarah. And for audience, please type in your questions to go and we'll work them into the Q&A at the end. With that, let's pass things over to Sarah. Hi, Gary. Thanks so much for having me. Um, it is great to be back with you. Um, and we're excited to talk about um, what we've been doing here at the Common Ground Alliance to protect um, all of the underground infrastructure that our communities depend on every day. So um, as a reminder, um, the Common Ground Alliance is made up of 16 stakeholder groups and our mission is to help educate um, policymakers, stakeholders, um, and communities about the importance of protecting underground infrastructure and calling a 1-1 prior to digging. So since um, we spoke last time, which was in October of 2021, um, we have expanded um, a lot of our programmatic work um, and this is a graphic of all the things we've been doing to really focus on um, systemic change in the damage prevention process. And I am going to take a moment to talk about the uh, recently uh, established Damage Prevention Institute. So um, the Damage Prevention Institute um, was stood up to really address the systemic efficiencies through a metrics process and measuring performance so that all stakeholders can learn from that so we can benchmark for um, stakeholders and so that we can engage in a peer review process to help all of our stakeholders get better in their own damage prevention processes, both internally to their companies and across their stakeholder groups. And with that, um, since we spoke last, um, CGA has uh, grown significantly in the past two years. Um, we've quadrupled our membership since we last spoke. And while we have increased um, our telecom members significantly, um, it still only makes up 1% of our membership. And I want to point that out to those who are listening because, you know, telecom and fiber have so much infrastructure that is in the ground and that is going in the ground. We want to make sure that your very important, important stakeholder group um, has a seat at the table and has an opportunity um, to leverage the lessons that, of our other stakeholders to reduce damages uh, to infrastructure. And so with that, I'd like to talk a little bit about our um, 2022 DIRT report. And for those of you that are not familiar with that, that is the Damage Information Reporting Tool Report. We put it out annually and it is the only um, report that looks at damages across all the stakeholder groups, um, damages and near misses. And so for the first time in our most recent report, excavators and uh, the construction industry were the top reporting source for the first time. But what is really important to point out here is that telecom and nat natural gas remain the most damaged and telecom work caused the most damage. And generally the, that has not changed since we spoke last time. Um, certainly with the um, influx of money into um, state uh, budgets um, to increase, revitalize, expand um, underground infrastructure, this is certainly a challenge. And of our um, top six persistent issues, um, root causes year over year, 
they generally have stayed the same. And that's really a challenge because that means that we're really not moving the needle on the significant pieces that we need to. So um, those are no locate, failure to pothole and maintain clearance and improper excavation practices. So um, we do look at this from a you know very statistical uh, view um, and we do compare these year over year. So um, we really have to reverse these trends and we will need the telecom industry to help us do this to reach our industry challenge of reducing damages by 50% in five years. So when we think about that 76% of the damages are caused by these six root causes, if we could just tackle a few of them, we would make a significant difference in the number of damages that are being caused annually. And so as often as 56% of the time, excavators cannot legally begin their work on the planned start date. And why is that? It is due to late locates. And when we look at data, from seven states that have mandatory positive response, which means that um, there has to be a, a, a active, yes, we have marked this or we have cleared this area. Telecom and water and sewer have higher um, late response rates. And that is a challenge because in telecom, it, the work is, is critical to making sure that our communities are connected and safe. And, telecom is actually most impacted by these late responses. Um, you know, there's a certainly a difference in when you're putting in a pipeline versus putting in a telecom or fiber line. Um, you know, natural gas is heavily regulated. Um, you know, it, it's usually very well known if a pipeline is going in versus the competitive edge that telecom companies are looking for, which means they may be coming in, they want that competitive edge to get in um, to that market first, which is understandable, but we also have to weigh the pros and cons of moving um, with that type of business model. So um, we started a series of white papers where we wanted to focus on each of our uh, key stakeholder groups and what they actually, what role they were playing in the damage prevention process and how they could make a difference. And so we have done, um, we did excavators, we've done locators, um, last year we did natural gas distribution and this year um, we did telecom. And so um, we will be releasing our new telecom paper tomorrow. And so this is a sneak preview of what you will be reading. So this really combines qualitative and quantitative uh, telecom industry research and it is layered with our DIRT report findings. And so the highlight um, in here is that you can look at some of our case studies and see how some of our more innovative members have really been working to reduce their damages to their own and other, other operators' facilities. So key finding number one, the telecom sector has the most potential to impact the U.S. damage prevention system and its own bottom line. Um, what we have found is that over time, as again, that underground infrastructure has continued to be built out um, and expanded, that the damage prevention piece of the economic puzzle is often separated from the rest of the process. And so it is more, uh, it's viewed more on the procurement side versus the investment side. And what we really need to think about is if we invest in damage prevention on the front end, what that saves us through the life of that construction project. And once it's put in place, 
there are a lot of states that are putting a lot of money into burying infrastructure because of weather, because of natural disasters, because of reliability. And while it's great and it's definitely safer underground, if you hit an underline, uh, a line that's underground, it takes a lot more to, to, to fix it. And so we need to think about what that long-term cost is. And if you look at this, um, the telecom numbers are pretty clear. 47% um, of the time, um, telecoms being damaged. And that's a lot. That's a lot of money um, from the companies. Um, that's a lot of money being paid out. It's a lot of headache for the consumer. And so we need to think about the whole life cycle of the process when we're thinking about the overall cost. So key finding number two in our white paper, growth and customer satisfaction are often prioritized over damage prevention by telecom stakeholders. Now, as a reminder, um, this uh, paper is based on what we found in our DIRT report and then what we found over a variety of folks groups, surveys, and speaking with um, many, many executives in the telecom space. And so this is a quote from one of the executives that we actually interviewed, which is business growth and customer service um, satisfaction tie as the most mentioned um, top priorities uh, by telecom interviewees. So this is what we found um, when we looked at all of the research um, that we got from our, um, our discussions with executives. So we need to think about that, business growth and customer service, but not safety, not damage prevention. Finding three, there's often a push to do very you know, nationalized standards around damage prevention, but given the size and impact and speed at which um, telecom companies are doing their work, if they look to really improve their internal practices and their um, internal um, processes, in which, processes in which they deal with their locators and their excavators by incentivizing good behavior through contracts, they can make a significant impact um, on reducing damages across the board, not only to their own assets, but to other assets. So when we talk about, um, you know, these things they seem sometimes can seem abstract but we actually do have some great case studies that are included in the white paper and some other ones from some other industries that are also on our website but when we look at crown castle um, you know they did the critical things needed to make a difference secured executive um, level buy-in um, they really took time to look at their data look at the events what the issues were, what was causing it, and what they could actually do to reverse that trend and, um, and improve customer satisfaction, which is ultimately, right, what everybody is measured by. Can you acquire that next customer? And so Crown Castle has really been a great partner of ours um, in looking, to, looking at how we can reduce those damages. So in summary, what we'd really like um, for your members to do, Gary, is help us reduce damages. Join CGA, become a Damage Prevention Institute member and become accredited. Um, that means that you are committed to submitting your information to DIRT, um, helping develop metrics where we can actually look across the board and see where we're making a difference and see where we need some more work. Um, the telecom industry's um, DIRT submissions, the, the data quality 
um, hasn't been the greatest. It's been in the low 60s. We'd really like to see that come up. If you submit information and all of the fields say unknown, that doesn't really help us determine what's actually happening, right? Um, our annual conference is coming up in Colorado Springs, April 14th through the 18th, uh, 2024, and we will be having lots of conversations about those things. So, um, you know, some of the high points, you know, of what we've been doing as the Institute, um, we've really been pushing our next practices initiatives forward. And one of the key things that um, we've really been pushing on across all the industries is this idea of mapping. Um, the technology exists to um, GIS map all of these assets. And even it, often locators are even collecting the data, but it's not being used. So we are actually have the ability with the technology that we have to create maps where excavators and locators can have access to what is actually in uh, and around their work site. And why would we not want to give that to them? Uh, it protects your asset. It protects the assets of others that you're working around. Um, it increases their uh, efficiency. Um, and that means they can get to more locates. We have seen over and over again, um, there's a vicious cycle in the damage prevention process. Um, for example, a telecom company is going in and they're doing a major expansion in a city. Um, their crews get there, they want to get the work done, they know that the locating can be a little iffy, so they call in 10 different job sites. Well, that is actually not helping the excavator, it's actually putting more pressure on the locating system, because now instead of actually marking the three um, that the excavator really needs to have marked, they may not get the ones that they really need marked, marked because they have now spread those resources even thinner. And so we have to think about not only um, how damage prevention um, impacts every stakeholder group, but how a stakeholders group's actions or inactions affect everybody else in the process. Because it is very counterintuitive when you think about it to think that by asking for more locates, you may actually be reducing the chances of the job site you need to be on being marked or, um, you know, causing too many, you know, hours of marking for things that aren't necessary and increasing the opportunity for errors. Um, you know, there's a job shortage or a labor shortage, pardon me, across the board. Um, and that includes construction, that includes locators, that includes, you know, pretty much every industry um, across the board right now. So we really have to think about the benefits of increasing those types of efficiency. So Sarah, um, super interesting. What? So you guys have grown your membership fourfold in two years, which is phenomenal. I mean, you have like 1,500 members. So what what has driven that increase? So part of that was the establishment of the Damage Prevention Institute. Um, that brought on a lot of uh, excavators that were not part of CGA before. Um, it has also given us the opportunity to really up our game in the uh, data department, right? So that our damage information reporting tool gets even better. And so that we are able to really be more prescriptive about the things we need to work on. Uh, the other thing is that it's become very apparent that there is 
a systemic issue across the board in the process. We are using a damage prevention process from decades ago. It has not kept up with time. Uh, it has not kept up with the progress that the industry has made. And even in telecom, um, in the paper, uh, one of the executives that we spoke to said, we, we are not ready for, for the future here. We, we just don't have the people, we don't have the manpower. And there are opportunities there to reduce that load by using mapping, by sharing that data, by offering um, you know, point of access to data so that when somebody is working, they're not putting your assets or somebody else's at risk. So we really are trying to advocate for a, a rethink of how the process works. And um, as next practices um, has become more focused on some very concrete things that we can do that has certainly led to an increase in our membership as well, because this is the opportunity for all stakeholders to have a voice in what's next. So from a network operator perspective, you know, you're trying to, you have to meet milestones, right? You've committed to the, the street mm -hmm. that you're going to have so many homes pass, and yet you come in and you're sitting around with everybody, you're, you know, money's burning as your, your excavators are sitting there ready to start digging and you're waiting for locates. So is that kind of the issue is that um, you, they've requested locates, they haven't shown up, they got the crew there and they get antsy and they just go ahead and start digging? So that could be part of it. And, and you know, a big issue is, especially in areas where we're doing major overhauls of a variety of infrastructure, power, water, sewer, telecom, gas, um, we're not taking advantage of when we're opening up the space. So sometimes we're opening it up three, four, five times, and we're not sharing that data, right? We're not, we're, we are not giving the other stakeholders information they need to be safe while they're working in that area. So if you think about it, there is, there is no other industry other than locating that I can think of that if you call and say, I need these 10, you know, uh, sites marked that they can say it has to be done. In most states, there is a, you know, legal obligation <clears throat> to have them marked within two to three business days. If you call the doctor's office and you need to get an appointment and they're full today, they're going to tell you to come next week, right? And so there's a whole system there that is a challenge. And unlike a gas line, which is regulated, and again, everybody knows it's going in, it's been planned, it's public. When telecom goes in, right, there is that advantage to getting there first. And they are not communicating with the other stakeholders that involve, not necessarily even the other operators, but often, you know, locating companies and excavation companies that are in that area are not prepared for such large projects, right? Um, and there's always, you know, well, we want to keep it confidential. Well, we all sign non-disclosure agreements all the time. So there are ways to work around that to make sure that we're communicating. Um, because if you do go into a place where there aren't a lot of locators, they can't be trained overnight. So they either have to move them from someplace else or it has to slow the project down because they have to train people. So I guess this brings up a ton of questions. So when I think about right now, you know, the administration's <laughs> a ton of money into um, infrastructure, right? Yes. And so whether that's water, sewer, electric, um, as well as communications and you know, broadband and so forth. And when I go to state offices, I'm saying, you know, hey, 
when they're putting in you know, the new water systems and sewer, why can't we coordinate with that on the broadband? And they're like, well, because these offices don't talk to each other. Everybody's, you know, I was down in Louisiana and they had a big issue with, um, they have really old water and sewer in some areas and they're, you know, have infrastructure money to try to improve those. But when the service, the telecom service provider comes in, you know, he's hitting unmarked things that aren't any records or hitting um, water pipes and sewers and things like that, that just shouldn't be where they are. And they have no visibility to that. And then the question is, who's responsible for all this damage? That That is correct. And then what happens is, um, you know, it, it usually falls to the excavator um, and then it falls on insurance and insurance premiums go up and the cost of doing business goes up. And if you are a telecom company and you've gone in and you just put a new line in and then the city comes behind you to put in water and sewer, guess what? They're not marked very well. And those assets are below everybody's. So you could be actually, you know, increasing the cost of your damage by putting something new in, having a municipality come in behind you, damage your utility and everybody else's while they're trying to fix that with the money they've gotten. And so it's a vicious cycle. It's it's a it's a very inefficient cycle that we can course correct um, if we learn to provide um, access to maps, to data, to when projects are going to happen, to make sure that we have people that are experienced um, on the job to make sure that things are located and that excavators are empowered to say, wait a minute, something's not right. This doesn't look right. We need to stop. But a lot of that goes back to the contracts. If, if operators um, and facility owners continue to focus on the lowest cost model, right? The, the quantity versus the quality. This is what gets us where we are now. You get what you pay for. And if you are not empowering your locators to say, hold on, this isn't right. This can't be right. You know, and say, we want it done right. Not just, we want it done. Or the excavator gets penalized because they're a day behind. Well, guess what? If they're kind of on the edge about something, they may say, no, we're just going to risk it. We don't want to get penalized. So we have to create an environment where we're empowering those working on the job site to actually take ownership and feel like they are actually part of the process and able to change course if they deem it necessary. So can a contractor have their own locators? So there are often companies out there that do do both. Um, generally the locator comes out um, and then the excavator comes in and, and actually you hit on an interesting point, Gary, when we had one of our very first next practices uh, meetings, <clears throat> one of the um, locators said, well, you know, if we could just talk with the excavator, you know, and the excavator said, well, if we could just go back and talk to the locator, but, but if now we're doing that, the system is not working. The system's not working. And so we need to make sure that we are standing up a system and revising the system we have into something that works for all the stakeholders. So some companies may do their own locating, for instance, um, natural gas distribution, their companies often have their own locators. So a company could be a facility owner, a locator and an excavator, depending on how they're set up. I, you know, I, we have a house down in, near Savannah and 
they're coming through the neighborhood with rods and they're poking through the ground trying to, they have no idea where anything is and so they have their metal detectors and they're poking rods through to try to find so i can't even imagine how hard this is on a wide scale it is um it, it is very tough i actually um, one of my very first field trips was to the houston uh ship channel and i actually used one of those rods to locate a pipeline that it was it was not in use anymore but it was from the early 1900s but you know the idea that we have come such a long way with technology where it can log the coordinates it can put it into a gps system we could provide that access to others and we're just not doing it we're not updating our maps we're not updating that information is it doesn't make any sense. It certainly doesn't make economic sense. Um, when we were in Florida earlier this year for our um, annual conference, um, earlier in the year, um, a, telecom a telecom company was putting in new fiber and they had caused a boil water advisory seven times in South Daytona. And the city finally, you know, fined them like $90,000 for one of those incidents. But if you start thinking about that adding up was it was it really worth it to save on the front end probably not well sarah thanks so much for sharing your insights for educating our audience on damage prevention you know as we work towards connecting every american with fiber and i want to thank everybody for joining us today and look forward to getting back together next wednesday our guest is going to be mike render one of our researchers um, from rva that will be discussing the latest you know we will be unveiling the 2023 service provider deployment study results. So this is how much fiber has been deployed this year, which will be another record. So thanks everyone. We'll look forward to seeing you guys next Wednesday.